Welcome to this episode of NLN Podcast, Nursing Edge Unscripted, the Scholarship Track. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Palazzo, a member of the editorial board for Nursing Education Perspectives. Our speaker today is Dr. Alexander Kenley, who is an associate professor of nursing at the University of Indianapolis School of Nursing. We will discuss the author's article today, Factors Influencing Faculty Decisions to Teach LGBTQ Content in the Graduate Nursing Program. The discussion will focus on the unique findings of the author, who published the manuscript in the July-August issue, volume 43, number four, of Nursing Education Perspectives. So I want to start by uh, welcoming you, Dr. Kemley, and thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Plaza. I appreciate the opportunity. You're welcome. And uh, your article is very uh, intriguing and definitely uh, needed. And I'm glad that someone's doing this work. So I'd ask you to please summarize the purpose of your study and just briefly um, your choice of the theory of plant behavior as a theoretical framework. Yeah, so what we wanted to do with the study was to find out why um, baccalaureate nursing faculty are generally not teaching LGBTQ content in the uh, undergraduate pre-licensure programs. There have been a few studies um, over the years that have documented that there's a lack of content, um, but not a lot that's told us why that is. Um, And so with this study, we were hoping to identify perhaps the best places we could aim our efforts to um, improve kind of the uptake of um, this type of curriculum in undergraduate programs. We specifically chose the theory of planned behavior uh, for a number of reasons. It's widely used um, in behavioral research. So it's got a good research base, both inside um, healthcare and outside. Um, And it provides a good detailed um, method to develop instruments um, to measure certain behaviors and the factors that um, influence those behaviors. What we did like about the theory of planned behavior was that it went beyond just measuring attitudes. So sometimes when we look at what influences behavior, we look at whether or not Um, somebody feels positively about the behavior or negatively. Um, And while certainly that is impactful um, in somebody's decision to, um, for instance, incorporate this content into the curriculum, we know it's not the only thing. And so the theory of planned behavior has a number of variables incorporated in it. Um, One of them being attitudes toward the behavior. So how does somebody feel? Do they feel like it's a good thing to teach LGBTQ content? Um, Do they feel like the outcomes um, and students are worth the effort? Um, those types of things are certainly important, but we also know that that other outside things are going to influence that decision. Um, And one of the things that theory of planned behavior incorporates is the idea of subjective norms. So what do other people think that you should do? Um, And we know from looking at this theory that that certainly is going to play a big part um, in whether or not somebody's going to decide to put forth the effort to incorporate this into their curriculum. And so we wanted to make sure that we included that. Another kind of sub variable onto that is that whether or not um, somebody is motivated to comply with those norms. So just because other people think you should or should do something, are you motivated to go along kind of with that or not? And the theory of plan behavior also tries to account for that. Um, And the last thing that we were really interested in was somebody's perceived behavioral control. So just because somebody thinks that a behavior is good to do um, and thinks that it will be accepted, um, whether or not they feel that they have control over that behavior is going to also influence whether that behavior is is ultimately carried out. Um, And so what we liked about this theory is that it allowed us to pull in more than just attitudes um, to look at what the norms were, whether or not people were feeling pressure one way or the other to incorporate this content. 
um, and what kind of control they felt they had. Um, we were hopeful that looking at multiple variables would help us target where our efforts might be best placed in intervening. Um, and so we, I feel like historically we focused a lot on changing people's attitudes towards the LGBTQ community, you know, the whole winning hearts and minds and those types of things. Um, but certainly we know that even though attitudes in some ways have changed, the curriculum has, has not. Um, and so what else might be influencing that decision? Where can we aim our efforts so that we can make the most impact? And to clarify with the theory of plan behavior, the more positive your, uh, you are in those different variables, such as attitude, subjective norms, and perceived control, then in theory, you increase your behavioral intention to do that particular thing that you're looking at. And the intention is a surrogate for actual behavior. So we can't, yeah. it's very difficult to measure the actual behavior because you'd have to sit and watch all these people all the time to right. measure their behavioral intention. And that's a surrogate for that. So that, that, that was a great explanation of the theory of plant behavior. Your study found generally positive attitudes and subjective mm -hmm. norms towards including LGBTQ content, but there were concerns with access to experts and other resources, kind of the perceived control variable. Can you explain mm -hmm. this and what specifically is a takeaway that we as nurse educators could do tomorrow in our classrooms based on your research? So, yeah, we were a little surprised, honestly, that attitudes scored as highly um, as it did. Um, Certainly, I wonder if we redid this study um, in the current climate, our data collection for this was uh, a year or two ago, um, how that might have changed since then, um, particularly broke out different uh, segments of the LGBTQ community because we're seeing increased attacks, especially in the trans community. Um, but we did find higher attitudes than we expected, which was um, somewhat encouraging. Um, what we did find though, um, were there were a number of barriers. Um, one of the uh, primary barriers that we saw was, of course, time. Um, and I think any nurse educator would um, point to the fact that there's more to teach every year and not any more time to teach it. Um, and certainly that was a concern that people may, may be more apt to teach this content if they had more time to get it in. Um, but other things that um, seem to serve as barriers would be, tend to be things like not having, not feeling like you have the expertise. Um, and so um, it's kind of natural human behavior to not want to wade into something if we don't feel prepared to do it. And um, what we saw was that some of our nurse educator respondents um, just didn't feel competent to teach the content. Um, and so one item on our study or on our survey was uh, asking whether or not somebody would be more likely to teach this content if they felt competent to do it. 75% um, of our respondents agreed with that statement that if they felt more competent, they would be more likely to incorporate it. Um, and 75% like uh, additionally also identified, you know, not just not having that knowledge um, as a base, um, kind of a base level of knowledge to be able to get this stuff into their, into their teaching. Um, we also saw that a lot of our respondents, about 75% again, said that if they had some training, they would be more likely to teach these types of things. Um, and so, being able to see that some of these barriers, um, we suspected that these were barriers, but having that kind of confirmed with um, some data has been very helpful. Um, and it's letting us know that maybe if we can get these resources out to people, that maybe we won't have such a hard time getting uptake of it. Um, so the things I believe that we could kind of take from this is that um, as 
researchers um, and as academics that if we can get this content into the right hands, um, then there may not be um, as much pushback as we maybe fear, um, but we have to get those resources developed. Um, unfortunately, there are a few um, resources out there that are available and that are free. Um, I don't necessarily think that any currently available resource is the ideal resource, but I think there are things out there that nurse educators can go online today and find and at least have some base knowledge, some baseline competency that they can develop um, in order to start putting this into their curriculum. Now, certainly we would advocate for um, hiring LGBTQ people to help inform your particular curriculum. And I think that's a great goal and one that I would really encourage um, nurse educators to seek out um, those experts and help them co-create content. So while we would like everyone to partner with an LGBTQ health expert, somebody who is part of the community um, because things rapidly change um, in this community, um, we know that it can also be a barrier if the project seems too big. And so if it seems like a goal you can't reach, you're not going to, you're not gonna get started. And so we would encourage people to go to some of these already available toolkits um, that we've discussed in the article and to start pulling some activities, case studies, just some basic knowledge to start incorporating into things. It doesn't need to be a class on LGBTQ health. Um, in fact, while I love specific standalone classes on LGBTQ health and I teach one as an elective, the students who and the nurses who need that content are not the ones who are more likely, right. most likely to enroll. Um, and so, you know, we know that there's, anytime we do a training, we're not necessarily getting the people who need it the most uh, for a number of reasons. So there are some things out there that show you how, you know, you can incorporate some LGBTQ topics into the curriculum are already doing. And sometimes it's as easy as, you know, making it part of your case study, maybe not the focus of the case study, but um, for instance, here um, at the university where I teach, um, we have a postpartum hemorrhage simulation. Um, and that has been revamped so that the um, individual hemorrhaging is non-binary. Um, and that was a pretty easy way to start normalizing uh, LGBTQ identities without revamping the entire simulation. Right, and it's a good suggestion, a good example of suggestion. Yeah, I thought it was, and I can't take credit for that. That was a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Karen McPherson, who who pulled that one off. But um, it was a very small change in, in her um, simulation that brought up a point for discussion. So when they're debriefing, they can talk through those things too. How did you yeah. feel when you saw this was your patient's gender identity? Did you have trouble with pronouns? You know, some basic things that can start normalizing things for students. And so it doesn't have to be an, an entire curriculum overhaul. Um, yeah. I like the idea of, uh, you know, you, you did example of the, the resources in the article, and you, and you mentioned um, a great example there. And, you know, we do only have so much time to with content, right? We, we're kind of content saturated as it is. Right. So instead of doing what we tend to do in curriculum, and I speak from experience, is tokenizing situations, dropping them in. Here's a situation, a case study, right? And then that's the only exposure students get to a particular cultural uh, context or strength or ethnicity or, or in, in this case, nobody can concern or issue, is how do we better thread these things through our curriculum? So they're just integrated in the curriculum in a way that's more natural and not, um, today, tomorrow's class is an example on LGBTQ healthcare, and that's it for the whole program, right? 
uh, and we can check the box off and move on from it. We did it, we're moving on to the next thing, but how to be more intentional. Right, absolutely. And what we run the risk of is if it's, if we kind of take this one and done approach where we've checked the box and, and said that we've done it, um, I don't think that we're doing a great job capturing the diversity of the community. We're give, we've given one example and we've you know, run the risk of presenting the LGBTQ community as a monolith. Um, and having students walk away with that thinking that if they can't, if a person that they're encountering doesn't meet that box that they have, that they've learned about, they don't know what to do. Um, and so I really advocate for incorporating these things in the content you're already teaching through a number of ways. Um, there is a, a good toolkit available online um, created um, for actually um, healthcare providers in Canada. Um, in cooperation with the, in partnership with the LGBTQ community there. Um, what I like about it is that it was um, freely available online. So uh, anybody can go access these, there are case studies available. And I was not involved in the, in the creation of it, though I wish I had been because uh, it's a pretty amazing resource. Um, and I think that's a good starting place um, for people who really don't know much of, if anything at all about the community to start learning things and to find some activities that, that can be plugged in without a whole lot of effort on the nurse educator's part. And hopefully um, people start accessing toolkits like this, finding out where their own gaps are, um, because I believe that's a, another big barrier is that we don't know what we don't know. We see that in our students and we see that in educators. Um, so once educators start looking into this information um, and acknowledging that they do have gaps in, in their own information, start seeking out other resources and, and filling in those gaps. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for joining us in this podcast. I really appreciate your time and expertise in sharing this work and broadening our understanding of this work and how we can actually begin to introduce these uh, techniques you talked about into our own curriculum and do that sooner rather than later. For our listeners, if you have not had the opportunity to read about Dr. Thomas' work, you will find the manuscript published in Nursing Perspective, uh, Factors and Points and Faculty Decisions to Teach LBGTQ Content for undergraduate nursing programs, and it's published in the July-August issue. And again, thank you for our listeners for joining us, and I want to thank our guest speaker today, Dr. Temery, again. Dr. Temery, any final words for our audience? I think one of the things to keep in mind is that you're not going to be perfect at this, and that being respectful is going to go a long way. People can tell when you are um, being intentionally respectful versus disrespectful. Um, and so going into things with a good attitude um, will help you overcome a lot of your barriers. Good point, thank you.